Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Madel, joined as always by Chris Bugay. Hey, Chris. Hey there, Rachel. What's going on? Not much. Super excited, as always, for our Talking With Tech recording. So here's what we got going on today. So uh, we have promised that if um, someone signs up for Patreon and they were to ask a question through Patreon, their questions get bumped to the top of the list. And so we have a question here in Patreon uh, that I'm going to read out for us and then we'll reflect on. How's that sound? Sounds great. I'm ready. All right. This person just started a new role that focuses on supporting AAC in their public charter school system. Awesome, right? That's a, that First, let's just reflect on that. How great is that, that there's a, a public charter school that has a whole role specific to supporting AAC? Love it. I am very excited and motivated, but I'm also experiencing some serious imposter syndrome, knowing that my level of knowledge and skills with AAC and AT is not where I want it to be, especially given the antiquated job title of AT slash AAC specialist. (laughs) So let's talk about that for a second, right? So you actually have done uh, a little video on imposter syndrome once upon a time. Do you remember that? That was in the Patreon. Yeah, it was. That was actually a Patreon video, yes. Uh, it was when I was uh, called to testify as an expert witness. That's, I believe, what was triggering my imposter syndrome at the time because I had to you know, testify. I ended up testifying on that case for six hours on the stand. It was really intense. Everyone always feels it. It doesn't matter whether you've been in the field for five minutes or 500 years. It's, you always have this feeling. This, there's always that, that, that uh, sinking feeling that maybe what you know is not what you're supposed to know or that there's something you should know that you don't know um, or that someone else could be doing it better than you could be doing it. And all of that is true and not true all at the same time, right? There's, uh, that's why it's such so great to be part of a community where you can kind of lean, lean on each other and, uh, and have your peers or your professional learning network that you can uh, bounce things and b- bounce ideas off of. So, and Patreon is a great place to do that where you can uh, put these questions and we can reflect on them. I completely agree, Chris. And one thing I like to think about when I'm thinking about imposter syndrome, you know, I think you have to get really comfortable accepting you don't know everything because you could be the, you know, leading expert in a specific topic area and you still don't know everything there is to know. And so I think that's where we get into trouble is expecting, you know, the expecting that we know all the answers. I think what's more realistic and what helps serve you uh, as a clinician is Accepting that, no, I do not, in fact, have all the answers, and I will never, in fact, have all the answers, but what I know and can feel confident in is that I can find the answers. I can learn the answers. I can grow into, you know, whatever role I'm put into, and I feel confident in my ability to figure out what it is that I don't know, Um, and I think that if you, you know, if you prioritize that perspective, you there's there of course imposter syndrome still comes up like for me for you for everybody but i try to remind myself of that you know yes rachel you don't know the answers but you're eager to learn and curious and you have the skills to figure out the information you don't know and i feel like that will take you far in your career and in life I could not agree more. I I could go off on a whole tangent on this about how uh, the our education system sort of leads us to believe that we should know all these things because you get bad grades if you can't spit out and regurgitate information back on tests, as opposed to embracing the idea that you don't know things, but that you can uh, learn strategies to figure out uh, what is true and what's not true. And I so I, I, I will resist from going on that uh, that tear here to get to continue on with the question. Um, which is the next part she says here about the antiquated job title of AT and AAC specialist. And you know from the number of presentations we do together, that's I, my job title, my official job title is uh, assistive technology specialist. And then I always say how I'm not a fan of that title. And I would much rather think of myself as an inclusive design facilitator, somebody who helps uh, general ed teachers or any educator design educational experiences for everyone. So maybe this person is thinking the exact same thing. I'm sure she is. I feel like that she definitely is a Patreon talking with tech super fan and listens to our podcast and knows it feels like how we feel about this expert model or the idea of an expert model. All right. Here's where she goes into her specifics of the questions. Number one, during a resource consideration guide meeting, how do you discuss specific AAC app options? In other words, which app would you choose for which student? I feel like I can communicate the big considerations like 
knowing that you have to have a robust language system, uh, robust vocabulary, uh, knowing that uh, you're, you honor the child and family preference and things like that, some, some big level items. But when it comes down to choosing between specific apps, sometimes I feel unsure. I would like to feel more confident in my ability to communicate this information and support this discussion among stakeholders in my new role, and would love to hear you both talk through specific app options from your experience. Let me first just, I can see you nodding there, Rachel, We say, I hesitate to talk through specific app options only because that changes with every update to every app that comes out. What we, you and I talk about right now could easily change two months from now when someone goes back and listens to this episode. So I feel it's more important is to, uh, again, not know all the little ins and outs of every single app, but know how you can find out that information. Yes. I think actually there's a really good resource that we can link to in our show notes. It's by uh, Call Scotland. It's this beautiful feature matching wheel that has, um, they just updated it, I believe, within the last year. And again, it's it's really dependent on these updates, right? Like it's going to become outdated and it's going to need to continuously be updated. But that can give a good understanding about the different features, the different AAC features, and what to kind of uh, understand about those features and what potential systems could work. Um, I also believe Angela Morad. Are you familiar with her, Chris? I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're on uh, Facebook be- all the time. I believe... I believe she has some type of resource. This is all speculative, um, but I'm almost positive she has a resource that um, that has all that information. She has kind of a feature matching resource. Um, so anyway, I feel like those are just two kind of tangible things that you can look into to get more specifics about the apps. I wanted to kind of remark on the bigger picture on where where do we start? Because she kind of has an understanding of like robust language, right? Which I think a lot of people no, that's a good launching off place is, okay, is it robust? Does it have all the things that a robust language system you know, should have in order to be considered robust? I think when you're thinking about any type of AAC or assistive technology assessment process, like you're really trying to incorporate the team and their perspectives. So when I'm figuring out what systems to trial, I'm trying to figure out what systems people already know about and what they have familiarity with. And that guides part of the process. Now, you know, sometimes I walk into a situation and nobody has any familiarity with anything. (laughs) And so then I'm really leading the team and here are potential options. Here are, you know, some of the features that differentiate them from each other. Um, Because a lot of these systems are very, very similar. They have a lot of the same features. They support motor planning. You know, they have, uh, you know, a keyboard um, with word prediction. They have all these features. They have grammatical, morphological changes. Um, You know, it's just the different features are a little bit different. And so figuring out if you have a student that needs a specific feature and that can help guide the process. Um, But sometimes, you know, there's students who they don't need that specific feature. They don't need, um, you know, something that you might do with one student. So it's kind of hard to talk through, even if I were going to give specifics about specific, you know, devices or apps or, you know, tools, it's really challenging to not have that anchored in a specific student, you know, because like there's so many, you know, ways we can go, directions we can go. And then when you add the whole team dynamic, the whole team element, everyone's input and listening to that input, it really, that's what guides the process. If I heard you correctly, Rachel, one of the things that I think uh, that you, you sort of said there was that when you're making that your first column, the list of considerations, one of the considerations can be what's, what tool could be supported the best um, like and that being so one consideration would be the people that the student is going to be surrounded by what tool are they familiar with and oftentimes I think sometimes well I should say I don't I don't know if it's often or sometimes but certain people might leave that off the list as a consideration like it should just be about the student but we know that supporting a student well will lead to a better outcome. So knowing having that being a consideration, I think it's important for people to talk through and should be on the list. Would you agree? That's what you were, that's one of the things you're getting it's, at. Right? It's at the top of my list. <laughs> and only from experience of times where I've recommended systems that are the best technical match according to feature matching for a student, but that nobody uses. 
And if I have the best, the best possible device for a student that no one uses, it's not the best system for the student, <laughs> you know? And so it's just like, we know where AAC fails. It fails with the implementation. It fails with lack of modeling and lack of use, right? That's where it fails. And so how do we, how do we try to prevent that failure in the assessment process when we're selecting the tool. And I feel like considering that what the team has familiarity with, um, while I know it's not a popular opinion, um, I think it's a huge consideration. And it's something that I, it's the first question I ask. It's literally the first question I ask. Do you have any familiarity with AAC or any other tools or apps? It depends what I'm assessing for. Um, it's the first question I ask. <laughs> Well, I think it's uh, you and I are going to make it a popular opinion because it's totally my opinion as well that that is uh, a large consideration into what should be um, what should be implemented first, what what you try first, right? Okay, so uh, there's another part here that I to this uh, question that I want to mention, and that is um, what I think happens. And I, I sort of mentioned this in the new assistive tech, my book, uh, the new assistive tech, make learning awesome for all, is that. Oftentimes when you're doing this sort of feature matching consideration and you have the team together and you're, 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 you're bantering through what, uh, what the needs are of the student, a number of options at the end will look good. You know, like, well, AEC 1 looks good and AEC 2 looks good and AEC 3 looks good. They all look good. Like, we can't go wrong. Let's just pick one that looks good. But you still have to use something to make a decision about what you're going to try first. There is no, there's no way to skirt that. You know what I mean? Like, at some point, someone's going to put something in front of a student, and you, someone has to decide what that first thing is going to be. So, how do you make that decision? And the the advice that I give in the book, and that I'll give here now, is to ask this sort of final question. And when you have uh, you've gone through the resource consideration guide, or you've had that sort of process of considering feature matching, and you have three options that look good, is to ask this question: Which of those options? will restrict the student in the least way possible. And changing, that's not a question often asked, but framing it in that way, which of these options will restrict the student in the least way possible, I think is sort of a, a jarring uh, thing that most people don't, don't get asked. You know, like, yeah, it's not like what I think is best or what I think I can support the most. It's, um, or which features come out of the wash having the most. It's what... I'm often not thinking, uh, I should say, many teams are not thinking about choosing a tool based on what's going to restrict the student the least. Um, and so, you know, if I were doing a presentation on this, we would have a bunch of examples if we were, you know, but where you of questions or scenarios that we would run people through where we were giving them examples where they might think through what option would restrict the student the least. But just asking that question at the end, so the person who wrote this question to us, when you're done, when you think you're done and you, these options look good, that's the last question you can throw out to everybody. All right, well, we got a couple options here that all look good. Which one do we think is going to restrict the student the least? And th that will guide you to an answer. I love it. I love it. And then that helps you figure out what you're going to try, you know, and then it just comes down to, okay, let's pick the system. Now we're going to trial it. Now we're going to teach it and then see how it goes. Yeah. All right. So the next question that she asks is, I know there's not a one size fits all answer, right? We know that too. There is not a one size fits all answer. Sometimes there's a one size fits most, but there's not a one size fits all answer. Uh, for how long AAC apps should be trialed to determine best fit. But in outlining a cross-school approach to AAC assessment and trialing devices, uh, this is like a big topic I'm having to try to rethink about. How do you suggest this is handled? Is there any research on best practice you are aware of? I feel like everything I've encountered previously is based on insurance reimbursement. Uh, yep, I would agree. Uh, would you agree? Yes, 100%. Whereas I would like to focus on reducing barriers for SLPs and students without compromising quality of services. So let me just rephrase it here. How long should we trial AAC apps to determine best fit? What do you think? Well, my first question is, I need, I need a little bit more information. What is, the, what is the accessibility of having AAC 
in that classroom for that student. So, you know, if you're thinking about an eye tracking system, yes, there are some limitations around the trialing process because these are trials and then eventually you have to get that device funded somehow to actually give the student that device. So that's my first question is, you know, if we're talking about, you know, just a general, you know, population of students and um, they're able to trial, you know, apps, uh, so iPads with speech generating apps, for example, then, you know, how accessible is that? Like, do you get to decide how long a student has access to that? Because there's no, it, it's hard to say like a set period um, because it's, it's dependent on how the student, you know, picks up the AAC system, how often they're seeing that system modeled, um, you know, all these factors. And I feel like it could be, it's not like a district-wide thing. It's like a very specific thing dependent on the classroom and the paraprofessionals and the student, you know, so there's all these factors. Um, the way I like to think about it is that, you know, if we go through a really um, good set framework process in the beginning, we're getting a team-based type of decision to figure out what tools to trial and you know, ultimately to decide on, um, it feels like if you do a lot of the upfront work, most of the time you come up with a tool that probably will work long-term. So it's like, I, I kind of shift my perspective and I'm like, okay, let's just like implement, right? Let's just go and do it, you know, instead of spending all this time, like with this idea in our heads that like, we're still in the assessment phase. Um, and the reason I don't like that is because I feel like for team members, this idea of the assessment phase, we, we run into really dangerous territory with that kind of language because it could be like, is this going to work or not, right? Instead of assuming, okay, this tool seems great. Let's, let's just get the ball rolling. And then, you know, if, if at any point, even if you decide, okay, the assessment's over and this device is the right device, you can always revisit that right? Like we've had to do that. I've had to do that in my practice. Everyone's had to inevitably go back and be like, okay, for whatever reason, we need to revisit this. Um, whether that's the team thinks they need to revisit it. And I'm like, I don't think we need to revisit a new device. I think we need to figure out how you can model on it more and do the things that, you know, we know help ensure success with AAC. Um, so anyway, this is all to say that I feel like I transition out of assessment in my mind very quickly, um, even so much like during the assessment, I'm like training communication partners. I'm like getting them to practice modeling. You know, I'm. it's really just all implementation as far as I'm concerned. Like, yes, like there's an assessment element to it, but I just jump into implementation almost immediately. So I couldn't agree more. So, so much so that I don't even call it assessment, right? I, we assess language. We don't assess AAC. And I'm not really a big fan of the word trialing because it's of that connotation. So, but let's just go with trialing for a second. That word trialing. Right. Well, it's used in outside of AAC. It's used in two different connotations. Right. One would be a scientific connotation. You've heard of scientific trials. Right. So um, I just created a new toothpaste and I am going to uh, give it to a bunch of different people and I'm going to run it through scientific trials to see. I'm going to put my toothpaste up against the other toothpaste brands and see how well it does. Um, that doesn't really hold up when it comes to AAC, because as much as we like to think that we're scientists when it comes to education, scientists control variables, and we have no control over the variables that happen when it comes to AAC. What I mean by that is when you're trying to control the variables, let's just try and list them out here, Rachel, if we try to control all the variables. Uh, time of day that we're implementing it. Food we ate before the student was implementing it. How much sleep the student got the day before. How much training and uh, coaching did the communication partners get? Um, those are just some of the variables. Let's go on, right? Um, what classes was it tried in? To the, this person's question, how long was it tried? All right, did you randomly pick two weeks? Does that count snow days? Does it or does it not count snow days? Did you put that into your trial? These are what scientists do. They eliminate variables to get to um, to try and make it okay. This is what's making the difference. So that that whole idea of trialing things never really sat right with me. Still doesn't. It just is confusing, and I've tried to not use it. 
So what's the other connotation for trialing? Well, the other connotation is you're on trial, right? You're in a, it's a, a legal connotation where you have, someone has made some sort of claim and now we use evidence to back up that claim, right? So the claim is in a legal sense is I think someone has committed this crime. Here's the evidence to back up that that claim, right? And I, it's on me as the prosecutor to build a case for why I think that works. And if I was going to use the term trialing, I would use it in that context more than the scientific one, because that gives you a little bit more wiggle room. So how does that relate to AAC? We, as this group uh, who has done, this, this person is clearly doing a assessment, I'm putting assessment in quotes, um, they're making decisions as a team using some sort of resource consideration guide, right? So all the stakeholders are at a table, they're looking through the considerations and they're trying to choose a tool. All of that is evidence to support picking the tool. And so there you go. There it was. That was the assessment. And and now we're actually implementing, uh, just like you said, we're jumping into implementation here because we spent all this time. Uh, and how, like you said too, how wrong are you going to be when all of these people are putting their heads together and spending the time going through this this resource consideration guide to make an accurate choice? Uh, very rarely, I think, are you going to be wrong. And you can still change if you are. If there's some sort of data that suggests that you're wrong uh, and that you did make a, uh, a mistake, you can always go back and change it. It's just to my experience, it doesn't happen that often. What happens way more often, I think, is um, people being wrong by doing an assessment. Eh, I picked three things out of a hat and tried them, and uh, then it, maybe one from some clinical experience and that's tool I like the most. That is often someone, then the next speech therapist comes along and they do a different assessment and they come up with a different su suggestion. I think that happens way more frequently than a robust team of people thinking through all the considerations and getting it wrong. And here's something that's definitely wrong. <laughs> doing an assessment and then deciding that a child doesn't qualify for AAC. <laughs> um, that's definitely wrong. And unfortunately, that's something I see all the time, all the time. It's so frustrating, Chris. I get all of these reports from families and thank goodness the family believes that a child has the potential to learn how to communicate and they come to me. Because it's just so sad when I read these reports saying, here are the five reasons why this child doesn't qualify for hate, for AAC. Continue doing PECs. Um, or, you know, not even that sometimes. Um, it's just like, it's so sad to me that, you know, these assessments are being done and, you know, they're doing, and again, think about all the variables. It's like, okay, what did you use? What system? What motivating thing? Was it motivating? You know, so many different factors. And it's like, how long did you spend? Was it, was it an hour that you spent with this child? And then you determined their future with being able to connect and communicate? Like, it's just crazy to me. So anyway, hopefully everyone who's listening <laughs> just like, you know, can share this episode because it's just so frustrating to me. Um, you know, we've talked about it on the podcast before, but it's just, it, it, there's, it, there's a better way. So this person has a third part to the question, but I think we're going to save that for the next one, if that's okay with you, because it's a big one um, that might take another whole 20 minutes to discuss. So we'll save that for, for the next banter or for an upcoming banter. How's that sound? It sounds good, Chris. Okay. I want to remind everyone of our 2022 goal, which is we want people to subscribe to Talking With Tech. So if you guys love this podcast, please don't forget to subscribe so you get updated every time we release a new episode. And then we also would love if you write us a review. If you listen to the podcast and you're like, yes, I listen every week and you haven't written a review, head on over to iTunes, click on the ratings and reviews button and tell us what you think. We're going to read these out loud, on the podcast, on air, you're going to be become Insta-famous if you write us a review on iTunes. I think it's pod-famous. Insta-famous is Instagram, right? This is pod <laughs> you'll be pod-famous. I met Insta like instantly. <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, so let me tell you about the interview today. This is part two uh, with my conversation with Kara Cotter.
Hey there! If you love listening to this podcast, we would be so, so grateful for your support to keep it going. By becoming a Patreon member, you can not only help us cover the cost of this podcast, but you can get some really great bonus content as well. We post video tutorials, behind-the-scenes recordings, and bonus segments from our interviews. We would love for you to join us by going to patreon.com slash talkingwithtech. That's patreon.com slash talkingwithtech. So I wonder if a strategy would be to, um, if you were able to get those iPads um, from that from those funds, then it would be something like, oh, and you sign up for this experience and you get an iPad. Or even now, it's you sign up for this experience, even if you um, don't have them right now, you could say, and you get an iPad for three months. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or something like that. Or I can, even if it's not already have an iPad, maybe I can push an app to you or some sort of, um, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be tied that way. It would, in a, an ideal world, please, I, I want anyone listening to ideal world, you just get it right. But, um, but in this case, maybe that's a, that would help also incentivize people. Yeah, definitely. Um, so for middle school students, that makes it a little more difficult because they're going from class to class and so not every teacher can, will have an iPad um, ready to model with them. How would you tackle that? Yeah. Oh, what a great question there. Um, because it's so such an inclusive question, right? I mean, you're, you're sort of presuming that a student who's using AAC would be moving independently without uh, necessarily a paraprofessional there um, that would go from class to class. So, Oh, I, I, the immediate answer that comes to me is that the student could be providing it to the teacher, meaning, hey, here's the modeling iPad in the same way that someone who's hearing impaired might say, here's the microphone that you need to put around your neck um, so that I can hear you with my hearing aids. And I'm going to, uh, there isn't one of those necessarily that every teacher has. It's one that might go with the student and the student hands it to the teacher as they walk in the classroom. So that would be my first thought as far as how to manage something like that. If there's not a, a paraprofessional or an assistant that's a, that's available to help with, with that. Yeah. And so back to the iPad question, um, getting, um, a modeling strategy into the hands of teachers. So I think it would be fantastic if I could get every teacher an iPad, but with uh, budget restrictions and just buy-in from everybody, it's not always going to be possible. So what do you think are some good alternatives if I can't get an iPad for a teacher of a student who uses AAC? I think you already mentioned it right? Which is those low-tech boards that I think, uh, if you're asking me, what I would tell you is the, the, the homepage of TouchChat, right? The, something that is um, uh, then maybe a precursor that would lead to and keep the buttons in the same spot, you know? So I think that would be your alternative. Would you have other alternatives? What are you thinking? That's the main one that I've been thinking, um, the poster on the wall and maybe a smaller board that the teacher can carry around the room for individual modeling. But I do have some classrooms where um, different students are using different systems. And so what would I give the teacher in that instance? What do you think you would give the teacher? Well, as one I've gone back and forth on, um, one of the um, center-based programs in our area has a great core board that they've developed, um, and it's not specific to one individual app. Um, just the, just with modeling on that in general, watching, letting the students watch them use a system has still been um, helpful to the students. So maybe something that's more neutral, not one or the other. Mm -hmm. And you say you go back and forth. What's your What's your or? Or I might do this. <laughs> well, the other thing that I was thinking is my or is that neither student um, uses their device a ton. And so I was thinking about potentially reevaluating them and seeing if a different system that would be beneficial to them, whether that matched or not, and it'd be neat if it matched. But if it didn't, then we'd be in the same boat. But um, so I don't think that's a horrible idea uh, to if it's, it's because of the way you started that phrase, which is neither student is really using it that much, you know, um, in which case, 
okay, if they're not that far down, they haven't learned motor plans yet, they're not really invested yet in this particular tool, um, then how do we land on that tool in the first place? Like, why are we using that? And if no one in the, if it's difficult in the environment, let's put it that way, if it's difficult in the environment for the staff uh, and others in the environment to be modeling, then the likelihood that they're going to model goes way, way down. Mm -hmm. um, the other or that I I can think of is provide multiple low tech boards. So if you have touch chat on one side, you flip it over and you got Proloquo on the other, you know what I mean? Or Lampwords for Life on the other. And mm -hmm. the teacher could, that's going to be tricky, but they could code switch, you know, in the same way that you might um, uh, use, you know, at home, you use a certain uh, cadence with uh, loved ones and at um, school, you're more professional. You know what I mean? You code switch, same ideas. Like, well, this student, I, I switch over and I use Lampards for Life and this one I use uh, Touch Chat and uh, I'll grab my other piece of paper that I use if it's, um, if it's a ProLoquo user or whatever, speak for yourself, whatever the tool might be, you know? Yeah, what, definitely. What do, you, what do you think about that? I think that it would be a little bit difficult for the teacher. I know even um, for myself, I use different AAC apps every day. And whenever I go on to a new one, I'm like, okay, I have to re-remember where things are, how to use it, you know, when you're switching back and forth like that. Um, but I do like the idea of having, having dual um, options because in this particular case, it might be worth it to reevaluate the student and see if there's something that we can get on this more standardized for the classroom. But in another instance, if um, both users were um, very proficient with their devices, I'm not going to take that away from them. Mm -hmm. And so we have to find a way to make both of them work. I like the the flip idea. Yeah. Um, okay. So let me ask you this. Um, uh, what do you think would happen if um, one of those tier one tools was touch chat, meaning they didn't call you. They we said, we want to try robust AEC. We want to try touch chat. Um, and they try touch chat. And that you said, that's probably the most popular one in your school district. And then the only time you don't use touch chat is when it's completely obvious that that's the wrong choice. You know, for whatever reason we know you know, maybe a, a teacher, maybe a student has moved in and they've tried touch chat before and the parents are like, absolutely not. We've had it before. Like, okay, then we know we're not going to use touch chat, for instance. What do you think the repercussions of that would be? Well, it's something I definitely hadn't considered before because up to this point, I had only heard that like, you know, each, um, system is suited for a different person. You know, you really have to do feature matching. You have to um, do a, a full evaluation before you determine a um, AAC system, but it would make implementation across the district a lot easier. And I feel like it might potentially make it easier for teachers to understand it. it wouldn't be so overwhelming for them, but I'm really, uh, it's a very new idea to me. Yeah. It, I, and I understand that, that apprehension because what if we gave a student touch chat, but they really, for whatever reason, would have benefited better if they had a different tool. But how often are we really implementing that other tool? You know, uh, how, well, how, how often is that really successful? And I'll, I'll, I'll ask it to you another way. Every time someone has uh might need word prediction do you do an evaluation to decide whether it should be co-writer or read and write for google chrome or one of the other word prediction tools out there not every time but i have done it in the past which also makes sense with that aac question so like this particular student had specific needs that we didn't know like for sure that he would be able to use co-writer which is really our go-to and so we ended up with clicker writer after an evaluation of him mm -hmm. so maybe if a student came to to me and we thought that there was specific reasons why touch chat wouldn't work from for them then we would go into an evaluation and see yeah really for every student like your, your first thought the way you described that was we knew that co-writer wasn't or we after a little uh try, we knew that co-writer wasn't going to be the right fit for this particular student. But your thought, your initial thought wasn't, I don't know what's going to work. Let's try a bunch of different things and see what figure. You're like, let's try co-writer first and then move from there. And that's really the same thing that this, uh, this particular approach would be with touch chat is, well, maybe we try that first. And if that's not, you know, if we know that's not the right tool, then we move from there. 
Touch chat is awesome. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So let me ask you this as far as, okay. So, uh, let's say you had, uh, a, so the teacher, uh, the situation is a, they have a student, they're sort of, uh, whether they have some knowledge with AAC or whether they, um, it's brand new. Like, so they're splintered skills. They go, they enter this course, which sounds right now to be like a Google drive that you might organize and put some structure around. You follow through the Google Drive, uh, uh, having these different experiences, um, watching videos, looking through uh, presentations, exploring PDFs, maybe even writing you and saying, hey, I'm all done. I've I watched all, I, I participated in my hour and a half. Here's some feedback that I have, you know. I I, um, I could sort of envision like a Google form at the end. T- tell me your thoughts, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. I could actually see a Google form also as being the course. Like, let me take the video and embed it into the Google form, ask a couple questions. Let me take the Google slides presentation, embed it into the Google form and, and take some questions. Or um, maybe if it's not one Google form, a number of them. And you, you, I went through Google form number one, two, three, and four. I'm done. Here's my feedback. Now, could that maybe... Um, kick off the coaching experience that you're talking about. I'm ready. I have this background knowledge now. Um, I don't have the splinter skills. I now have the skills, or I should say, I have the knowledge. I'm ready to practice my skills. Um, what do you think that would would do if everybody that was introduced to AAC took a course like that and then had coaching afterwards? I think it would demystify the process a lot. No, I think a lot of times when somebody calls me in, it's because they don't have a lot of experience, but then they're like, what's going to happen when she shows up here? Could be anything. (laughs) And so I think that if there was like a little bit of like pre-work almost, then when I came in, they would know what to expect and they could ask questions about it that are relevant to them. I think that's fantastic. I think something else you might find is that um, two educators that might start that same experience on that same day like you know am you're in one class and you're like hey oh you have an aac user let me show you this google form uh experience that 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 uh, will they'll take you through this and the pm you do the exact same thing with another teacher one of those teachers will fly through it in an hour and a half and they'll knock it out that week and another teacher will be like i did it in half hour spurts and it took me a month to get to <laughs> um, yeah which I think it's maybe okay. It works for their, for their own particular, um, um, as long as they're getting through it and that would maybe allow you to, um, parcel out your time, do you know? So it's not like, Oh, geez, quarter one, everyone's taken this course and quarter two, I just got slammed with, with, uh, 50, um, coaching experiences that I have to do. You know what <laughs> I mean? It might spread it out a little bit as the, as the year goes on. What are, what are your thoughts on that? I think that's very true. I mean, I think it would be um, pretty tough if everybody ended the course at once, but I think that having a little bit of a self-paced option is good too, because maybe a teacher is having like an extremely busy week with their class and they don't have time for it that week. So they also really don't have time for me to come in and teach them something on top of it. So if it's a little bit more controlled by them, then I think that would probably increase buy-in. Something we've done in our neck of the woods is that coaching experience, we've put some parameters around it, meaning it's not indefinite. Like you said, well, I don't know, she's going to show up and I don't really know. It's kind of a, it's no, it's a number of set sessions. So you kind of know what you're getting into. Okay. It's uh, let's pick a number, let's say six, six sessions. And these are what they're going to be. Um, and you're kind of laid out what that experience is. That feels, I think to most teachers, uh, doable, like, okay, I have a start, middle and end. Um, it's not this sort of coaching and it just sort of, yeah, again, people can't see me right now, but I'm, uh, but my background is outer space. So it's like coaching, I'm floating out here in outer space. I don't really know what that means. Um, it's, it's got some parameters to it. And, um, what do you think about giving them relicensure points or relicensure credits for the coaching experience as well. Like if you had a number of hours, coaching takes this number of hours, you get this number of credits. Do you think that might help? What are your, what are your thoughts about all of that? I think that that could definitely help, but it does bring in another question that I had about this, which is how to address any of this in the IEP 
because right now I have um, some students on caseload where I go out and have a certain number of minutes per month with them where I, it is consult, so I can work with the teacher, the staff, and the student, but it's like minutes per month, not like sessions, which I feel like is maybe a little bit more along the lines of where I should be headed. Mm -hmm. Well, when I think of sessions, I do think of a number of minutes per session, you know? So when I, if I were to say like, four sessions, then that's four 30-minute sessions or four 45-minute sessions. We're going to do these individual things in these each each session. Um, and you hit the nail on the head there. Uh, I think to, to answer your question is, it sounds like most of them are written as consults, so you can work with the staff. And so those minutes would count. Yeah. So if I did like, if I wanted to say I'm going to do, um, you know, six sessions over four months, then I could just say like for the IEP start date and IEP end date, this many minutes per month. I think you could. Um, I mean, I think there's certainly school districts that do that, but let me ask you this, like, okay, you, you do that for student number one and the, the teacher that you're working with is uh, teacher number one and they're paired together. Right. And they, the teacher goes through that whole experience where they've done the whole, uh, background knowledge and then they've also done the coaching and now they they've graduated they've got their their shiny you know badge that says i'm aac aware and i got these aac skills and student two comes along do you write the same number of minutes into their iep right i would think maybe not like if you could keep it out of the iep um then you're just doing professional learning um no that's a great idea i think so I also want to involve um, speech pathologists in this because not all of the um, local speech pathologists are comfortable with using AAC. Maybe they didn't hit on it as hard in grad school or just haven't had an AAC client in 20 years because that does happen. Mm -hmm. So um, do you think that I should do the same thing? Should these training sessions be like group sessions with the um, teacher and the speech pathologist? Do you think I should break it up? Um, well, what do you think, first of all? And then I'll tell you my thoughts. I think that it'd be beneficial to do some together and some separate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So some pe some people are gelling as a team and other people are not gel gelling as a team. And so you might want to do them individually. Is it, how would you tease out who does it collaboratively and who does it individually? Well, more so, I feel like there's different skills that speech pathologists would work on rather than um, what teachers would work on. Um, more of the like language therapy um, sort of information I would want to point the SLPs towards and more of the classroom implementation stuff I would want to uh, point the teachers towards, but there's certainly overlap. Mm -hmm. And so, sure. yeah. Um, what do you think about finding some champions, some partners to give you feedback on the experience? So imagine um, like this isn't going to roll out tomorrow, right? So mm -hmm. you you would take some time to structure that Google Form, uh, Google Drive experience, right? Do you are, are there people that are jumping into your mind? They'd be like, "Oh, I could ask them to like be the kind of the the first people to take it and give feedback and see what they think." And then um, same thing, hey, can I come practice coaching with you on a specific skill like? Um, uh, like partner augmented input, you know, because we have a rapport already and get your feedback. And I wonder from there, if then it's not just your show, like, is there a, is there potential that eventually with that feedback, that there could be more of you, you know what I mean? That it's not just you that does this, that it, that, that the speech therapist really become the, the, eventually the quarterback of the whole thing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, part of the reason I want to move towards coaching is because I want to, um, be able to like increase the capacity of the speech pathologist and the teachers to be able to do some of this stuff on their own without having to call me every time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think that I could definitely, um, one, there's for sure people that I have in mind that I could pilot it with. And two, um, I know that, um, the SLPs just want to help the kids with their communication. So I'm sure that if I talk to them, that they'd be, um, willing to help me with some of these programs. I wonder too, if those SLPs wouldn't be able to, with, of course, with parent permission, get some little video clips and things like that and help you with those sort of, I don't, I can't even picture how this would work in a class. Well, here's a video of it, how it works in a class, you know, five miles down the road in another school, you know, I wonder if that's a, an opportunity there um, to, to, to make it real for the teachers, you know, that, um, cause they can see other people that are just like them doing it. 
Yeah, that was one of the things that I had in one of the um, documents that I made in that Google um, folder as I had like videos of other teachers doing uh, modeling in a class while they're reading a story during a lesson. And I think that would be even more meaningful if I could get other teachers in the district videos of that, people that they know. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, with coaching, I think to, to answer that question of group versus individual, um, I think it could work to do like group coaching, but I think the dynamics would have to be really trusting because in our experience with coaching, it's been an individual thing. Like I'm trying to build my own skills. I feel uh, maybe self-conscious for other people to see me sort of kind of make mistakes and then analyze those mistakes. And they have this relationship with you and doing that in front of other people can feel sort of like uncomfortable, you know? Um, <laughs> but that's not to say like uh, it shouldn't. Like that's just because ultimately I, would, I think it'd be great if we just felt comfortable making mistakes and it's cool that I'm in front of my friend, my colleague that I'm working with and like, Oh, you made a similar mistake. Oh, we both learned from making that mistake. Like that ultimately would be um, having a group coaching experience, I think would be awesome. And who's to say you couldn't try it. Like let's do, uh, uh, you know, the right classroom, the right situation, you know, where people already have that relationship built. I mean, I think that could save a lot of time from doing individual one-off coaching experiences. Yeah, for sure. Because I do think there's for sure a need for the classroom teachers and the speech pathologist. And honestly, um, one of the things that helps the most generalization um, is having all staff involved. So if I could do some coaching with the OTs and the PTs on how they can use devices within their sessions as well. But again, it kind of feels like a lot, especially for a new AT specialist to walk in and be like, hey, everyone's doing this now. Listen up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I I think that's really good advice you just gave yourself, which is start small. Let me just try this in one one classroom or you know a handful, a pilot of th- a pilot study of three, um, and something that's small, manageable. Get some proof of concept, and then get some feedback so that you can use it as promoting. Like, well, I tried it with these three, uh, you know, either groups or these individuals, and look at what they said. They all liked it. You know, that sort of marketing uh, certainly couldn't hurt. You know. Yeah, for sure. Help you tease out what you need to change. You know, you're, you're, you're trying something new here. Uh, chances are it won't be perfect right out of the gate and you'll want to make some adjustments and fine tuning as you go along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, other advice I would give just, I'm in the, I'm in, I've stopped coaching and asking questions. Something I just have, have learned over time is to keep it super small and keep it super tight. Like there's so much to, um, to learn when it comes to AAC. So uh, core, vo- I, I, I rattled off all those things, core vocabulary, descriptive teaching, motor plan, like all of those could be short little segments that you're coaching on and maybe picking one to start with, as opposed to, um, here's it all, you know, let me give it to you all. Um, I think giving it too much would be that would be overwhelming and you'd see the growth better if you picked, all right, what do you really want to work on? Well, I really know core vocabulary. I'm pretty good at using core vocabulary. Great. How about uh, we work on um, that uh, uh, because you're so good at core vocabulary. How about we work on building up your skill of descriptive teaching? Sounds great. You know, I'll describe things using the core vocabulary. Let me let me put that into place and get better at it. Where yeah. somebody else, you'd be like, you know, I have no idea. I've never seen AAC. Okay, well, just use the stuff that's on Touch Chat. Use those words. Okay, there's rule number one. Just use the words that are on there. And then number two model. And so why don't I coach you through how to become better at modeling, you know, and it could be a different coaching experience, depending on the the skills people have, even though they've all had the base knowledge of that, a consistent base knowledge of hearing it all. It's never going to hurt somebody who's already heard about descriptive teaching to hear it again in the course, you know, and it's not yeah. going to hurt anybody who already knows about core vocabulary to hear it said from a different way in that course. It just as becomes reaffirming. Yeah. Like, you know how we do like an AAC word of the month. Maybe I can do like an AAC strategy of the month um, with kind of a hierarchy where like modeling, you know, is kind of one of the basic ones and descriptive teaching maybe is one of the more complicated ones. And um, you can start people wherever they are on the ladder. And then each month we'll focus on one of those skills and work their way up. I love it. I love it. It sounds like a fantastic, fun. I'm moving to your district. I want to be part of it. Uh, let me ask you one last follow-up. What do you think is the um, the reality of 
the future of getting more coaches, getting more of you, duplicating yourself, if you will? I think that it would be great. Um, I think that um, the more people who are available to do training and coaching for AT and AAC, the more people will reach out to us because it's going to build awareness of what we do in the district and also make it less intimidating to call us when, um, you know, that there's for sure going to be somebody who come in and help you. Um, so recently we were having conversations in my neck of the woods and one of the people that I work with, um, uh, so I work with the, the, the people that I work with are called specialized instructional facilitators for assistive technology. And we were wrestling with the same question that you're wrestling with, which is, which is how do I coach everybody? Like, like, how do I get the, like, that's a lot of people. If you're talking, let's say roughly 20 schools, you know, um, what's the, the demand going to be on my time? And, um, uh, and again, how do I get the buy-in from teachers? And one thing that this, uh, CIFAT this brought up was wouldn't having a wait list be a good thing? Like, like. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I, I finished my Google form, uh, Google drive experience. I'm ready for you to come out and coach me. Well, actually I'll get to you in about three months because I've already got a list of people. Well, now they go to their administrator in three months. How do we, you know, I got a backlog of three months. Let me show you your administrator. You know what I mean? Your super, look at the wait list that I have. I can't do it. You know, coaching takes time. I I've already limited it to a number of sessions. So I know how we're, we're going, how much time it's going to take per person. Um, you know, even a minimum or even our maximum amount of time it's going to take per person. And it's working. Look at the results we're getting from the people that I'm working with. That is a lot of evidence to suggest they need more of you. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I think the more people in district who know how to use AAC and who are willing to share their knowledge with others, the better. Yeah, absolutely. And well, and then they become champions for it. Um, uh, and a again, maybe that is how you build capacity. Yeah, for sure. So any other thoughts or questions? I know you got a dog to feed. So <laughs> <laughs> Apparently he tried to feed himself already. So <laughs> um I think that is all that I had for today. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Let me ask you that last little question, follow question there. So what's your takeaway? What do you think you're going to, what are your action steps? What do you think you're going to do? So I think that my um, biggest next step is to work on some of those tier one training modules almost to um, get people comfortable with those. Um, and then I love the idea of bringing them um, through those and then um, bringing coaching into the, the picture afterwards. Um, I think that the, the pre-training modules are going to be infinitely helpful in just getting that base knowledge out so that I don't have to teach the jargon when I show up. And also it, I think it'll take away a little bit of the fear that uh teachers and staff might have when dealing with AAC, this big unknown. Awesome. Awesome. Well, don't hesitate to use the talking with tech podcast as, as you know, throw it in an episode that you like, download it and put it in the Google folder, let teachers know about it. Um, because maybe they'll start listening on their own. Do you know what I mean? And start to yeah. acquire that. And, uh, um, but even if it was just like a very specific one, like you need to listen to this 15 minutes of this episode <laughs> it explains this particular topic. Um, that's, I know professors use that in their college courses and they talk about them afterwards, you know, that's their homework assignment in some things. So in my uh, grad school, I was assigned your podcast. No way. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. Well, cool. I hope this was helpful. It sounds like a really great, um, initiative that you're that you're you're going to be uh kicking off here and don't be a stranger come back tell us tell us how it's going um tell us how it went tell us uh you know hey here's some things i i learned along the way love to hear more about it absolutely i will all right thank you so much thank you see you later bye-bye